the arts is a board for change. And the arts is a board for the documentation of what is happening in this time, in this moment of time. When it's all said and done, it stands. Long after you are gone and I'm gone, they'll find this footage of Northwest Tap and they'll be like, who is that, you know? And it will tell a story of who we were. Welcome to Living Legacies, a podcast that celebrates the voices and stories of individuals around the Pacific Northwest. Produced by Northwest Folklife and Jack Straw Cultural Center. In celebration of 50 years of Northwest Folklife, the Living Legacies series honors local culture bearers who inspire and perpetuate arts, culture, and traditions. Here is your host, Kelly Ferriar, Executive Artistic Director at Northwest Folklife. Today we'll be speaking with Melba Iko, founder and artistic director of Northwest Tap Connection. Ms. Melba is a Gullah Geechee Creole storyteller, tap dance historian, and choreographer. Born in a small town on the North Shore of New Orleans, she described her life as a three-part harmony. Born into segregation, survived integration, and enlightenment through cultural diversity. Her life commitment is to define and share the African-American experience through the performing arts with her organization, Northwest Tap Connection. My name is Melba Mitchell-Iko. I am the founder and director of Northwest Tap Connection, and we are a race and social justice-oriented studio that's located in South Seattle. You know, our mission is very, very simple. It is to close the gap for disenfranchised communities with an emphasis on youth that identify as Black, Indigenous, or people of color. And just changing the narrative that's out there to a narrative of truth that so often you don't get in institutionalized spaces or through the media that there's this perception of what blackness is, you know, and that my job is really to really focus on telling the truth and to, to raise up this generation of socially conscious youth that understand that identity, fosters that identity. And then my biggest thing is to know the difference between integrity and reputation. And so we talk a lot about choices, options, and consequences in coming into that and and really realizing that integrity is what you do when nobody's watching or behind those closed doors and reputation is what you want people to think you are. And that if those two things are not in alignment, then there's a problem. I mean, you know, for myself, I'm always going to be nappy hair, country, Gullah Geechee. (laughs) Behind closed doors and in front. Would you mind sharing a bit about who introduced you to TAP and and what do you remember about it? What was that spark? Well, for us growing up during that time, you know, Shirley Temple was famous. And and we were so lucky that you we got out of church on Sundays early enough that we could get home, be good for the Shirley Temple, and then watch Godzilla afterwards, okay? So, you know, it was like, all right, this is good. And so watching Shirley Temple every Sunday, and she was just, you know, this famous little girl that could tap dance and stuff, is that we started to tap. And, you know, everybody wanted to tap. And, and tap is so prominent down south anyway. But for us, 
I didn't have any tap shoes, but we had tennis shoes, and and we used to get those little cold drink. We call them cold drink tops because that's what we call. We didn't say pop. We said cold drinks. And so you get the top off of the cold drink and put it underneath your tennis shoes. And I, and we had this little, my dad had like a little walkway that was like made of um, cement and concrete that he made. And we would dance. And and then, of course, you know, being Gullah Geechee and black and nappy hair, I needed to look more like Shirley Temple. So I would go inside and get this white towel and put it on my hair. Now, it didn't matter to me that the holiday, the green holiday end sign was on the middle of the towel. Okay, I would just put it behind my ears and I would tap and I was Shirley Temple. And so I, I felt like I was a famous tap dancer. But then in the second grade, I got this teacher named Miss Padres. And Miss Padres was my second grade teacher. And for the closing of school, for programs that we used to do, she wanted to do, she was going to do a tap piece. And then she taught us this how to tap dance. And so we were getting ready for the end of the school program. And I fell in love with tap then because to be in the program, my mama got me some tap shoes. So at age seven, I got my first tap shoes from the Sears and Robot book for the show. And I tapped, you know, and it was like, wow, I love tap. And then after that, I just, I was always tapping all the time. So from the second grade to the third grade, I tapped and tapped. But I was still looking at Shirley Temple. I would sit there and watch Shirley Temple movements and, you know, on my own on Sundays and and really look at Shirley Temple. And I really loved tap. But then we would go to integrated schools, and um, it became different because trying to define blackness and who you were. And so, you know, if you're a tap dancer, you tap all the time, regardless if you got tap shoes on or not. And so I would find myself tapping, and then people would say, negative things about tapping and that, yeah, tap for the man, come on, come on, and, and use the N-word, come on and tap, you know. And so I found that what I felt really joyful about, mm-hmm. I put it aside because I was trying to establish myself and my blackness in this world of whiteness, okay, because even through integration, I was still in that minority of it. And so I stopped tapping. And if you, you know, when you look at historically in tap dance, you saw that a lot of blacks who had been tap dancers didn't have work during the 60s because that transition from 68 into the 70s was really trying to define that, not that Angie Mama look, the talk and speech patterns of it was changing because even shows that was on TV, Amos and Anthony, we used to watch those shows all the time. Those shows was going off and trying to look at showing a more progressive blackness in a way. And so I found myself setting a side tap. And even though, you know, you always tap because the tap movements are so instinct. For us, when we're impatient, we tap. When you know, when we're excited, we tap. But to actually say that I was tapping, I I turned away from that because now I was trying to create my blackness and stand up for my blackness in this way that wasn't this what I call this Uncle Tom scenario. Okay, 
And so you're fighting for that respect. You're fighting for the identity of who you are. And so definitely, you know, um, it wasn't tap without the door for me. And um, by that time, I'm still angry. I'm very militant, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm putting the Youth in Action Club together. I'm a Black Pantherlet, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sitting here really probably stressing my parents who are living in this environment. I mean, you know, my father, I can still remember that I was so angry all the time because, you know, my dad worked for this country club down in Louisiana, and these white men would come up and say to us, you little gals, I tell you, y'all need to be really proud of your dad. I tell you, Ed is such a good boy. He's just a good boy, hardworking, hardworking. And I would think to myself, why is my dad a boy? Mm. When will my dad be considered a man? And then my dad and I would have these conversations that were like, you know, because I'm militant. I want to know why he let them call him a boy and, and this. And, and, you know, and, and yet we're living in a city where there's a grand dragon of the KKK that lives in our community. And there's things that are happening on a regular basis that my parents are telling us to come in. There's roads that you can't drive down at nighttime that black people didn't ride. And so, you know, I, I think back on it, the conversations that I had with my mom when I got older and I said, I don't know how you allowed me to be who I was without breaking my spirit, knowing what was at stake. Mm. And I think that's what inspires me so much. With Northwest Tap, I get this opportunity to really change the narrative of blackness and, and at the same time to use the arts to do that. Northwest Folklife is looking ahead. We will be celebrating 50 years. As we look ahead to the next 50, what do you see in store? What's in store for us? When we look at tap dancing, tap dance is a folk dance. It's a folk dance because there is a tap master. And that tap master passed down not only that artistry, but the stories that are linked in that artistry to that next generation. Because if you go to a tap class and they don't tell you any history, that's not a tap class because a tap class is a folk dance. And I think that telling those stories, it helps us to strive for better. Because if you look at history, I sometimes tell them that I feel like that there is this round table and there are these beings that sit at this round table and we are on that table and they give you the scenarios to solve and resolve okay and to see if you get it right and we usually don't get it right and then maybe 30 or 40 years later that same scenario with just a different bit of a twist comes around, just a tad bit of a twist, and they say, I'm going to give them an opportunity to do the right thing and get it right. Let's see if they make it this time. And unfortunately, we are like hamsters on a hamster wheel that's going around and around with the same things coming back in full service. And I think that 
because folk life is rooted with folk, where we're telling these stories, that we're going to get it right. You know, I expect my grandbabies to do better than I. I strive to do better and to impact more than what my mother and my aunts. This year was the last of those Gullah Geechee queens passed away in March, okay? But yet, my sisters and I all know the same stories, and we can talk over each other telling those stories when we all get together. And then we have cousins that get on the phone with them, and they can all tell the same story, and they begin to have extra little stuff to talk about these women. Mm. Now, taking that into place is that we take that role map that they had and then what we know and what we've been told and do better. And I think that that's what I'm looking towards the arts, okay? I want every child that's at Northwest Tap Connection to have an opportunity to do way better than what Miss Melba. I mean, I look at my granddaughter, and sometimes I just think to myself, oh, my God, I know my mother is laughing because I see so much of myself. And then I think to myself, how do I raise her up to be strong without breaking her spirit? Because I know she's going to need it. Mm. And when I think of my mother, I think sometimes I wish she was here so I could talk to her because she was a perfectionist and a professional on how to raise me strong, but yet keep me grounded without breaking my spirit. And that's what I strive to do with Northwest Tap. My whole goal is, is that any child that comes through Northwest Tap, I want them to be stronger more better than Miss Malpa. And with what we're talking about, with what you're the programming that you guys are doing at Folk Life, that think about it. Folk Life celebrated 50 years, right? 40 years ago, before Life had been having this conversation with a Miss Malpa. So, what is that progressive pattern? And to look, because if you don't know your past, you cannot guide towards your future. And I think that that's what I tell kids all the time. And that as we look at our past, that sometimes we may look at it from the eyes of a child. But then we look at it from the eyes of an adult. And what can we do better? And how do we change those dynamics? You know, really to know the difference about what can I change? What is in my power to change? And what do I have to accept? But even with accepting, is there an impact that I can do to it? And that's what I feel like that with folk life, having these type of conversations and looking forward to the arts plays a critical piece in mm -hmm. change. It plays a critical piece in, in defining a culture, you know, because there won't be a nappy hair Gullah Geechee Creole that you're talking to that can tell you that I was born into segregation survived integration, and found culture diversity. There's so many of us that can't tell that story. And for me, I'm so glad that at Northwest Tap Connection, yes, the emphasis is on blackness, 
but we have white families that bring their children to Northwest Cap too. And that I look at that as an opportunity for me to tell my story because when the Lilies and Summers are sitting at a round table and they see one black person at the table, they're going to remember how they felt when being the only whites in a studio surrounded by blackness and that to make that person feel inclusive Mm -hmm. and brought back in. And they will understand the story of blackness on such a large level. So definitely our emphasis is on POC, okay? But I love to have white children in the studio because if you're not exposed, then you'll never know and you'll never understand and you'll continue that vicious cycle of the miseducation that comes out of institutionalized places and spaces of whiteness and media that is covered that Mm -hmm. way. So each of us must stand. And each of us must be willing to share our truth, okay, in a way that brings about understanding and possible change. So I can sit here all day and talk to you, and I may impact you somewhat, but when I get to have five little white kids in the studio and I'm seeing them on a weekly basis, I can change the dynamics of what tomorrow will bring. We're here and we're talking about legacies. We're talking about living legacies. And Miss Melville, you are no doubt a living legacy in all of how you are perpetuating forward identity, resilience, and love, and pride into all of your students and all of the audiences and all of the people who interact with you. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think it's important to pass on legacies? When I think of the work that I do, my mother and her sisters did it long before I saw it. They modeled this behavior of giving and being a part of the community. You know, um, I came up in a family where my mother called and talked to every one of her sisters and her mother every night to say goodnight before she went to bed. These ladies um, talked. And, and, you know, and sisterhood is so critical. And, and I talk about that to young people at the studio, that sisterhood is not just based on who you biologically are connected to, but the establishment and understanding of the values of equally yoked sisterhood, you know, and that legacy of what are you going to do? And and so I feel like that the work that I do is a continuation of the work that my mother and her sisters modeled, you know. And so um, when my mom was here, there would definitely be days when I would be really upset. And I would just go and I'd talk to my mother about stuff. And she would always ask me what was my vision and what was my determination for what, my, what I was to do in life. And I would talk to her about what I wanted to do and what I was trying to accomplish. And I was laughing because my mother would make me sing what I wanted for myself and what was my purpose in life. And um, 
and and I would always sing it. So I'm gonna sing it for you. Mm. Okay, you know I've been a little bit dank. You know I've been talking to y'all, but you know, but it just reminded me of that legacy of women. Mm. And that's what I try to do is I try to role model and talk to children about why we're doing the things that we're doing. But when I'm in my deepest thought and I'm so upset about what is happening in this political climate, I think of those words of my mother, that Gullah Geechee Creole woman that says, what is your purpose and what has God ordained for you to do? And then sing your song, and I would sing it and feel so much better. I just want to live so God can use me anytime, any place, anywhere. I just want to let my, my little light shine. The Living Legacies series is produced by Northwest Folklife and Jack Straw Cultural Center. This podcast was made possible by the National Endowment for the Arts, Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture, and individual contributors, with support from Jack Straw Cultural Center. To learn more, go to nwfolklife.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>